you guys probably won't remember the name. He was uh, in the political race several years back, probably when you were in elementary school or maybe even younger. He's a guy named John McCain. He's a, a United States senator. Uh, oh, apparently, we've got some John McCain fans in the house. All right. Like, when, I, when I was seven, I was really hoping he was going to win. Um, his story, we kind of got acquainted with his story when he was in the news media. He was a potential uh, president. He was a, a, a prisoner of war as a soldier of the United States military. And so he was, he was captured, uh, I believe he was in Vietnam, and was a, a captive for five years. And two of those five years, he spent in solitary confinement, meaning he's already a prisoner of war, but t- two years, all by himself, no one to talk to, no one even to share a cell with or anything like that. During his five years there, crazy things happened to him. Um, he, he had uh, both arms broken at different times. He was beaten on a regular basis, and, and even through those beatings, never got medical care. I mean, he's a, a prisoner. that They didn't care. When he broke his arms, and I'm not sure if it was at the same time or different times, uh, again, not good medical care, had a leg broken. He suffered from dysentery, which if you don't know what dysentery is, it's, it's, it's a, when your intestines swell. And they become inflamed. And it feels like you've got to go to the bathroom all the time. And I don't mean to gross you out, but then at the same time, I kind of do. Uh, When you do go to the bathroom, it's diarrhea and blood and pus. And it's nausea and stomach cramps and fever. It's a terrible thing. He had chronic dysentery, meaning he had it over and over and over again during those five years. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine like... Not only being away from your family in another country, not even knowing if you're, if you're ever going to survive, but, but your leg is broken and you don't get anybody to come in, a doctor to come set it. You don't get, I mean, you don't even get any Tylenol, Aleve, nothing like that. You just, and I don't know, you, I guess you drag around that broken leg and try to set it with some splints until it heals as, as best it, it can. That would be a terrible experience. But when McCain was rescued and they went back and asked him, like, you know, what was the worst part about that? Was it the broken legs? Was it the broken arms? Was it the dysentery? Was it the beatings? What was the worst thing? He said the worst thing of the experience was being isolated, being put into solitary confinement. I could deal with the broken arms. I could deal with the broken legs. But solitary confinement was the worst experience of that full experience. And the military's done some research into that of prisoners who have been that way. And what they found out is that to a T, people who have been put in solitary confinement as a prisoner of war say that that is the worst experience. And we know now it actually has neurological to your brain. It affects your brain in some crazy ways. Some people that are put in solitary confinement, uh, they come out catatonic, meaning they just stare off into space and, and you can snap in front of them and can't get their attention. Some people uh, have panic attacks. Some people become overly aggressive. Some people that come out of solitary confinement show the same symptoms or the same behaviors as people who are highly autistic, even though there's no autism in, in their life. It's, it's a terrible experience to be put away where nobody is. And I mean, outside of something like that, because most of us probably are going to live our entire lives without being put into solitary confinement. We also see other things that are not as extreme where being alone or being in isolation can be dangerous or harmful. So last Saturday, uh, Amanda and I went on a, a, a day trip date. Just she and I uh, had somebody come in and watch the girls. And we drove down to LaGrange, Texas, and, and, and just kind of 
solve that little town for the day. Well, we went out to this place called Monument Hill, and it's got some Texas history things there. It's got this bluff where you can overlook the Colorado River. It's beautiful. Well, we're there. We, we've done this trail. They had a nature trail, and we, we, I mean, we've got all day. We have no agenda, so we, let's walk the nature trail. So we're walking the nature trail. We're about halfway through, and I'm looking around this trail, and you know, to my right and to my left, it is, I mean, there's plants, trees, brush, and, and I told him, man, I said, could you imagine like, if you got lost out here? Like if there was no trail, I mean, if there wasn't something, a path that you could walk through that you follow knowing it's going to lead you back, if you're just walking through all of these trees and brush and things like that, you really was so thick, you'd have had to have a machete or something just to, to chop your way through. And so we started talking about what's it like, you know, what would it be like to be like lost somewhere in the middle of the woods, in the middle of the forest. And that got me thinking about this being isolated. And so I did, a, I did a, a Google search of people who had been lost in the lost hiking. And I looked at just the regular things that came up in Google. And I clicked news to see what was in the news. Now, here are the headlines that came up. Hiker relives 72 hours lost in wilderness. Mom and daughter lost in wilderness for five days are rescued. So these are all fairly current. Lost hiker found safe in wilderness. Crews rescue man and woman lost in uh, Pinal County wilderness. Lost in the wilderness, one man's five-day fight for survival. Grandma lost in wilderness, rescued after riding help in rocks. And case study, lost in the Gila wilderness, was, was about a guy. And so I didn't read through all of these things, but these are recent. These are what came up on Google uh, or, or what's in the news, which is all current. You know what's interesting about that? And I know it's not always true, but all of these stories had one thing in common. The people that were lost were either alone or they were with one other person. If you think about it, and I'm sure, I'm sure you probably don't Google like lost in the wilderness very often, but if you see stories about people that have gotten lost someplace, do you ever notice that rarely do you see like group of 72 lost in the woods, right? I mean, you don't, you don't see that, but you don't usually see like a group of five wanders off, never to be found again. It seems like when people get lost Bad things, they're by themselves or it's like a group of two. Now, I don't have a scientific study for this, but I've got a theory of why that's, why that's true and why that happens. My theory is this. If you've got a group of three or four or five people together, there's a greater chance that someone in that group has more wisdom than you do. So it plays out like this. They're walking along a trail in the wilderness and they're looking over a bluff, and they see a river down below, and it's a pretty steep bluff, and somebody in the group goes, you know what? Let's climb down and go down to the river. Now, if you were just like a junior in high school guy who loves adventure, and it's just you and a buddy, you are more likely to look at each other and go, yeah, that's going to be awesome. Let's do that. But if you've got a group of three or four or five or six people in your group and you're standing there, hey, let's climb down, there's probably someone in that group that's going to go, that's a terrible idea. You're going to die. You're going to fall. And so th that group exerts a little bit of positive peer pressure that says, hey, let's let wisdom speak into this. There's not a trail. Let's stay on the trail. And people don't go and they survive. But the two guys stand together and go, yeah, that's cool. Let's do it. And then they fall down and they die or they're lost in the, in the, in the ravine forever. I mean, it's, you're more likely to survive when you're together. That's why, you know, like in the movies or the TV show, like if there's a group of like eight people walking down the street, like an alley in New York City, 
you're like, cool, they're just like talking. But if it's like a lone girl all by herself, like walking through a net, you're like, oh, she's going to die. That's what, you know, she's going to get mugged, something bad. Because there's safety in numbers, it just, just kind of in our physical life. And so, I mean, it doesn't always have to be, you know, a, a concentration camp or, or a wilderness. Isolation, we know scientifically, or being by ourselves is dangerous even physically to our bodies. In 2006, some breast cancer researchers did a study, and here's what they found out. If you're a female and you have breast cancer, and you have a large group of close friends, you are four times more likely to survive breast cancer than someone who doesn't have a lot of friends. That, that, that's, that piece alone, that you have relationships, for some reason, I, don't, I can't explain why, you're four times more likely to survive. A man who has a large group of friends or close friends in his 50s, is much less likely to have a heart attack than somebody who doesn't. We just know that from scientific studies. A study in France and a study in the United States have tied the longevity of your life, how long you will live, based on the number of close relationships you have. The less amount of friends you have, the more likely you are to die at a younger age. So that's kind of crazy. I I don't understand why. But here's what I just want to throw out to you and wonder. if, If we know... The military has found out that people that are isolated and put in solitary confinement have, have terrible experiences with that. If we know that we are safer in numbers when we're out doing places or whatever, that isolation is more dangerous than community, and if we know that even physically our bodies respond to people better than responds to loneliness, do you think it's possible that the God who created you in that way might also have created you in such a way that spiritually not just physically, but spiritually, that you need other people. If you look through the scripture, we find out that's true. We find out the disciples, and if you're not, if you're not a, a church person, or that, that word sounds foreign to you, a disciple is simply someone who's a follower. And so in this context, as we're talking about discipleship or disciples, we're talking about people who are following Jesus with their life. They've said, I want Jesus to be boss of my life, and my life is going to, to follow his plan for it. So a disciple is made in community, not in isolation. You, you will not grow spiritually on your own. There's a church up in Dallas. I'm going to share a story with you later tonight that, uh, that I got from them. But they, they so understand this truth that if you want to come and join their church, like you love their church, and it's one of the, it's one of the largest churches in the United States. You go to join their church. I want to be a part of this. They're going to ask you this question every year the beginning of the year, to join the church or to stay a member of that church, they're going to ask you, what small group are you in? Who, 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 what small group do you meet with? And if you go, oh, I don't do small groups, they're going to go, hey, we appreciate you wanting to be a member, but you cannot be a member of this church. Because what they will say to you is this, as followers of Christ, which is what we are as a church, we want to be discipled and you cannot be discipled in isolation. Disciples are made in community. We need each other. The writer of Proverbs said it's like iron sharpens iron. Two things brush up against each other. The more I'm with other believers, the closer to Jesus I become. And guys, I tell you, I hear people that say this on a regular basis. They'll say things like this. And it's usually in the conversation of, would you come to church with me or do you go to church? They'll say a statement like this. Well, you know, my faith is very personal. My, my faith is just between me and God. I don't go to church anywhere. It's just me and God, and we have our kind of own thing. Or they'll say this. They'll go, you know, hey, um, I don't really, I I grow better just, you know, by myself. I'm going to tell you this. That is not true. 
whatsoever. At the, there are times where you need to get alone. Jesus got alone, went up on the mountainside to, to pray. Some of you are, are introverts. I'm an introvert. We need some alone time. In the alone time, God speaks. So does God move in your life sometimes when you're alone or by yourself? Absolutely. In fact, there's a, there's a scriptural precedent for us getting away on our own, just us and God. But over the long term, as part of a discipleship plan, if I'm going to follow Jesus on a regular basis, in scripture that we don't see any evidences that you're supposed to do it alone. You were made for community. You were made for relationships and you become a disciple. You spiritually grow with other people. And when people go, well, it's just between me and God, they, I, I'll tell you this, they are not growing. They're not growing in the way that God would have them grow because we're made for people. I want you to go over to a book in, in the New Testament called Hebrews. It's about, I mean, it's going to be almost to the end of your Bible. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at two verses this week. We're going to talk about them in our small groups on Sunday. If you don't go to church here and you have a small group or a group of people you gather with, uh, this might be something you talk about or go home, talk to your parents about. But I want you to read with me Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. If you've got a phone, you can get to it via uh, the Bible app. It'll search it out by our zip code. It'll pull it up for you. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. And we're just going to lean in on these two verses. He says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. He says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Now, when we read that in the English, and I'm reading from a translation that's called the English Standard Version. You might have a different one. And I don't know what all the translations say, but most of them don't really give this phrase uh, the, the true power that was written in the Greek when it was originally written. So when you read this and it says, let us consider, like when I think of consider, I think of like, hmm, do I want steak or chicken? I'll consider that chicken. Do I want to watch the football game today? Consider it, yes. Uh, to me, consider, and maybe it's just me, consider seems like a, 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 a weak word. This word consider, it means to, to fix your mind on or to, to, to fix your eyes on. It's, it's intent. We want to dig down deep. We want to not consider, but we want to wrestle with, think through, put a lot of effort into uh, this next thing. Let us consider how to stir one another up. And again, this word doesn't do justice in English. The, the word literally means like to incite or to irritate. And so he's going, the writer's going, man, we got to, I want you to really think about, I want you to spend some time to meditate on how are we going to incite each other? How are we going to irritate each other until we start loving people and doing good works? That's way more powerful than let's just consider. I mean, it's like, let's think about it over coffee. I, I get the picture of like, and this is probably a guy's illustration, maybe not a girl's illustration, but as a guy, I picture like two athletes at a football game. And, and it's an important game, and it's the last drive, and they're excited. And they're, they're like, a, a great place happened, and they're running, and they're chest bumping. There might even be some, like, shoving, some pushing and shoving. Not because they're angry, because they're just fired up, and they're ready to go. You know, you know that experience? That's, what's, that's the picture I get when we read this in the Greek. The, the writer's going, listen, this is serious stuff. I want you to get, get fired up about it. We're going to figure out some ways. To, to push each other, to love people, and to do good works. And he says to irritate. I mean, so this is what it looks like. We've been doing these radical commitments. You know, one of them is a mission trip, to go on a mission trip. That was the commitment we made in week two. You need to have some people in your life that, that you're being discipled in community that are going to irritate you, that they're going to come up to you and go, hey, 
You're going to go on a mission trip with us this year? And you're like, ah, I got this and I got that. I don't know. And they're the type of friend that doesn't go, okay, I asked. They're the type of friend that goes, no, seriously, when are you going to go? And you go, ah, I don't know. And they, well, here's a calendar. Why don't you look? You know, because you're going. I want you to go because we're going we're gonna to push each other. We're going to incite. We're going to rile each other up. We're going to go do some good works. We're going to go love people. We're not going to come sit in the pew. We're not going to come sit in a chair just hanging out. We're going to figure out some ways to go and radically change this world. That, that's what he's talking about. Verse 24, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now look at this, verse 25. He says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Even in the writer of Hebrews day, which we don't know who wrote Hebrews, even in his day, there were people that had got together to, to be discipled, to have a small group experience. Really, their whole church experience was a small group experience. They didn't come to a big building and worship. They'd meet in a home or someplace, and it was usually a handful of people. But there were some people that had gotten into the habit of not showing up. Now, man, that is easy for us. Because here, here's what it looks like. There's a weekend, and you've got like a sporting event or something like that, and so you're gone. Maybe two weekends in a row, you got baseball or soccer or something, and so you've got to travel. And so, so you miss a Sunday, and you miss a second Sunday. And then you're planning on, hey, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're back. We don't have tournaments. We're going we're gonna to be in our small group. We're going to be at church. But then somebody in your house gets sick, two people, and you're like, oh, man, everybody's like not feeling good. So, okay, we're going we're gonna to stay home and recover because we don't have any other days to recover. And then the next day is like a three-day weekend, and the family's going to the lake, you know, and you're like, well, it's a three-day, we're going out of town. And then you got another sporting event after that. And the next thing you know, you look up, and it's been, it's been five weeks that you haven't been in community, you haven't been in a small group, you haven't been wrestling through the word with somebody. And week six comes along, and you didn't at any point say or think or even feel like, I'm not going to a small group anymore. I don't like it. I don't want to be there. You just don't even think about it anymore. It's not even really on your radar because life has gotten so busy with all of these other things that you actually had a chance to go, but you created a different habit, a habit of craziness maybe, a habit of not being there. But the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, we've got to avoid that. Do not neglect meeting together. Do not put it as a high priority. Don't get into the habit of not meeting with your small group. This is not, this is not a life group leader, Sunday school teacher. I'm not speaking to you as a pastor. I'm reading to you out of the scripture, the word of God, where the word of God says, don't get into the habit of not being in community because disciples are made in community, not in isolation. When I was an elementary schooler, now, when, like, I grew up in, in, a, in a family that we went to church on Sunday morning. We went to church on Sunday night because our church had Sunday night church because, I mean, you didn't get enough Jesus just on Sunday morning. You had to go back for a double dose. And then, and then we went to church on a Wednesday night all the time. Well, when I was like fourth or fifth grade, Halloween, October 31st, fell on a Sunday night. And yeah, exactly. And I remember like this caused tension inside my home for my parents because my dad thought like this. My dad thought, listen, it's, we go to church 52 Sunday nights a year. We'll be okay if we just go to 51 this year. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll be all, all right. So we're going to let our kid, let the boys, three boys, we're going to let them go trick-or-treating with their friends in the neighborhood, dress up, have fun, and, and, and everything's going to be okay. My mom, on the other hand, had this philosophy. And she grew up like in a Baptist church. Her philosophy was, if we were going to miss church for something, 
We're not going to miss it for the devil's holiday, right? Like, I don't know if you have parents or grandparents like that. Halloween, I don't think, is the devil's holiday. But, you know, it was like, you know, we could miss for Thanksgiving because God wants us to be thankful. But we're not going to miss church to dress up like demons and go get candy, you know? And so my mom was like, of all the days that we are going to go to church, we're going to stick it to the devil and go on Halloween. And so my parents are in this debate, and like the three boys in the back like going, come on, Dad, come on, Dad, you know? Come on, be a man, you know? And... <laughs> The good news is, Dad won. And we, yeah, I mean, we got to go trick-or-treating. But you know, you know why that wasn't a big deal? Because 51 weeks a year, we had a habit of being in worship and being with our community. I mean, you better believe, like, after Halloween that Sunday, like, if we had broken a leg and two arms, like, John, my parents would just drug us into the building and, like, just sit in the corner, you know, because we are not missing it. But we had that habit. And that habit, that discipline of being with other believers in worship and in community and in small group, I can tell you this, has been instrumental in what God has done in my life to grow me spiritually. Because the disciple is not made in isolation. You will not grow on your own. It just, it does not happen. And then he says this, look at the end of verse 25. Oh, well, I'll go back and read it. He says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And that word doesn't just mean encourage. It can mean praying. It's a real general term. It can mean rebuking somebody. It's, it really means to lean into each other. And all the more as you say that, see the day drawing near. So i give you this and then I'm going to talk about what do we do. He says, as the day draws near, as we get closer to seeing Jesus, and you realize we're closer to seeing Jesus today than we were yesterday. Jesus didn't come back, so we're one day closer. He says, as the day draws closer, as you're getting more likely to see Jesus, you would think, I'm growing spiritually, so the more spiritual I become, the less I need a community. Maybe when I first become a believer, I first start following Jesus, then I need a small group of people. But he says, as the day draws closer, as you're getting closer to meet Jesus, you need to be preparing all the more to step from this life into eternity to leave earth and go into heaven. If you're going to spend eternity with Jesus and it's closer today than it was yesterday, you better be more prepared today than yesterday. So you need to be with your believers. You need to be in community. You need to have a small group more today than you did yesterday because it's preparing you for what's coming. It's preparing you for eternity, not just the 70 or 80 years here. Let us consider how to stir one up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what do you do? I'm going to give you a three-step process. And a lot of times we kind of give you some application or some things to think through, give you some things that you can choose from. Choose this or choose that. Take the word and apply it. Go out and practice it this way. This is really more the, I'm going to give you kind of three stair steps. Some of you are already standing on step two. Some of you are starting on step one. I don't know if any of you are on step three. Some of you aren't even on the staircase. So step one is this. You commit to a small group. You, hey, I'm going to make living in a community a, a priority. Because here's the deal, guys. The, the people in a small group, are the people that you should be sharing life with. Here, when we do them, and I don't know how some other churches do it, but we do them by grade, by gender. So hopefully you're going to be around some of the same people for the next, if you're a sixth grader, seven years, sharing life together. 
struggling together, hopefully getting to the point where inside your discussion you can, you can walk through some hard times together and celebrate some good times together. It's not perfect. If you come on a Sunday morning, one of our small groups, you're going to be you know, seven or eight students, maybe three or four of them got drugged there by the parents. They have no desire to be there. They don't really want to talk. Other three or four really want to. It's messy. But you need to lean into those people and to say, you know what? This is going to be a priority. A small group for me is not going to be something I do on a Sunday or whatever day that your small group meets if I have time. It's, it's the thing that says, you know what? On Sundays, one of the time is I have committed to this group of people because I'm sharing life with them. For me to miss is going to be the exception rather than the rule. It's going to be more rare for me not to be spending life with them and kind of connecting back this week and talking than it is for me to show up. Because if you've got to show up every once every four weeks and you've got to reintroduce yourself, you're never going to move to level two. And, and step two is this, that you commit to make it a place of spiritual growth. Some of you are already there. You, you come pretty regularly. You're involved with a group of people. But the second commitment, kind of that next stair step up, is to say, this is not just a place I go, but this is a place I grow. I'm coming with an expectation to my small group that I'm going to walk out of it changed, different than when I walked in. Because of the discussion we're going to have and the scripture we're going to dive down into, I'm going to walk out with something that I'm going to do or something I'm thinking about differently, something I'm praying about that is going to cause me to grow further, faster than I would if I didn't come. But you go in thinking that way. I'm going in to make this a place of spiritual growth and not just for me, but for the other people with me. I'm going to walk out ready to grow, but I'm also going to walk out. And when I walk out, I'm going to look around my small group and I'm going to go, you know what? Later on this week, on Thursday, I'm going to text him or I'm going to text her just an encouragement to push forward in whatever we're talking about. Somebody shared something in my small group. And so later on this week, when they're not thinking about it, I'm going to call them and leave a voicemail on their phone. And I'm just going to pray for them on their voicemail so that when they, they pick up their phone and they hear it, it's me praying for them. Because it's not just a place for me to grow. I'm going to make it a place of spiritual growth for the people I'm sharing life with. Some of you need to make that statement, that, that next stair step. Some of you are, are so, you come, but you need to make it spiritual. Not a place you go, but a place you grow. And the third stair step is to commit to, a, commit to multiplying it. I mean, if we grow in community, if we spiritually grow with other people, not in isolation, as you are telling other people about Jesus, as you're meeting some people who maybe have some faith questions, you know a great place to bring them? To your small group. To invite them to meet some other people that are their age, that are walking with the journey, and go, hey, we're all trying to walk with Jesus. Like Allie said in her interview, I mean, when she got to San Diego, she had some people that they were doing life together. She didn't tell you all this, but she had people that moved out of where they were staying so that she could move in there because they wanted to share life together. They brought her in. In reality, if you, and let me talk to you guys that, are, that come here on a Sunday morning. In reality, at this time next year, of course, you'll be in a different grade. Your small group should have doubled. I mean, if, you, if there was just one person over the next 12 months that you started praying for, talking to about Jesus, loving, and you said, hey, come to my small group. I want you to connect with our people. If everyone in their small group did that, you'd go from 8 to 16 people, and you wouldn't be a small group anymore. You'd have to split that group in half and have two groups of eight because you're using it not just to grow yourself but to help other people Walk closer with Jesus. So it's this three stair step application. 
So where are you at? Do you just need it? Maybe you just need to jump in and go, okay, I'm in. I'm in. I'm going to commit to a group. And that's going to be, that's going to be the radical commitment we ask you to make tonight. We talked about some other ones, and we're going to review them because this is it for us. But, but really, we're not even going to ask you to do anything other than this. In a minute, we're going to ask you to pull out your phone, and we're going to ask you to go to the website, fbcgt.org slash radical community. Or if you don't have a phone, we've got some, some papers in the back where you can say, Here, here's a simple commitment. Would you make a commitment to be there 36 times this year? 36 for us at Sundays. If you go to another church, whenever y'all meet, what do you do with that? 36 times you go, man, 36, that seems like a lot. There's only 52 weeks. Do you realize that's, that's just two-thirds? This is two-thirds. One out of every three Sundays, you'd miss and still make that commitment. I mean, to me, honestly, I'll be very honest with you, I, 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 don't, even, I don't even think that's a commitment. But our ministry team, we dialogued through this, and they said, hey, we think that's fair. That's, let, let's do that. And I said, okay, that's why we got them. I think, that's, I think it's pretty easy. I mean, I, I, I mean, imagine this. What would happen if you play sports, if you play football, and the coach said, hey, we've got practice every day at 3 o'clock. If you went to your coach and went, I'm going to be there two out of three times. Every third day, though, coach, I'm out. I'm, I'm going to be gone. Would he consider you committed to that football team? <laughs> you wouldn't even be on that football team. He would go, hey, thanks, but no thanks. Pick any sport, anything you do, it would be the same thing. But we're less committed to walking the spiritual journey with those that God has put around us than we are to playing sports with people who we're not going to see ever again after three years. That's, I'm not anti-sports. And I know that's the world we live in. I mean, that's what we really encourage. Like if you play sports, you do things and you miss, take your small group to your sports team. Go be a leader there. I mean, we're, we're for that. But I'm just putting it in perspective. Two-thirds isn't a lot. There's very few things that we commit to that requires two-thirds of our time. I mean, we miss one out of every three. That's all we're asking. Because we think that that will begin this process of you getting connected to a small group and beginning to start to grow. Let me, let me tell you this, and then we're going to shift gears. I want to reflect over this series. I want to challenge you with this. We've asked you for five things. And what I've been wrestling with is something that somebody challenged me with from a leadership standpoint. And they, they asked, they said, do you want to be a leader? who sits in front of students or, or, or your parents on Sunday morning. I talked to several of them, and I shared this with them. Do you want to be a leader and have a youth ministry or have a church that, that functions like this? It says, listen, if you'll just keep showing up on a Wednesday night, I'll keep showing up. If you'll keep coming, we'll keep doing games, giveaways. We'll, we'll, you're here, I'm here. High-five each other, pat each other on the back, come back next week. Or, or do you want to be a part of a group where someone stands up on a Wednesday night and challenges you to be more like Jesus today than you were yesterday. And to be in a group that looks at each other and says, yeah, we're not, we're not settling for just showing up. We want, we want to follow Jesus. I, that's what I want. I don't, I don't want to just cash it in, check it off. I did my good thing and I went to church. I want to grow. I want to, I want to chase after God. I want him to, to, to pour his spirit into me. 
in such a way that my life is different. The people see that. We've been making these five radical commitments to kind of a start, a launching point to a discipled life. I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm going to let you watch kind of a funny video. We're not going to watch the whole thing. In Durham, North Carolina, there is a, a bridge that has a train track over it. But the train track and the bridge was built a long time ago, before there were regulations and expectations for how high something had to be. So this bridge is 11 feet, 8 inches tall, which is not, I mean, that's just a little bit over a basketball goal. The vast majority of trucks, not pickup trucks, but like box trucks, moving trucks, 18-wheelers, are much higher than 11 feet, 8 inches. So you can't go and just like lift the bridge with a train track on it. I mean, it, it is what it is. So this, the city of Durham, North Carolina has put in all kinds of warning mechanisms. Like it's actually, like if you go to the, like the city tourists, they tell you, they warn you about this. It's on a one-way road. So the only people going down, you can't, you can't come into it from any other direction except down the one-way road. And all for three blocks up until you get to the bridge, there's big warning signs that say bridge ahead, 11 feet, 8 inches. When you get to the third uh, block, there is a radar that if your truck is higher than 11 feet, 8 inches, the radar hits it and lights start flashing 11 feet, 8 inches turn. As of this week or last week, they changed that. Now, if it hits it, you get a red light and it makes it an arrow telling you you have to turn left. They've just put that in. But until that happened, people would drive through each of those signs and they'd hit the bridge. So much so that there's a website about it and they put the videos up every time somebody hits the bridge to see how crazy it is. We're not going to watch all five minutes long of this video. I'll let you see a couple of them. Here's why I wanted you to see that, and here's what I want you to process through. Why did that, why did that happen over and over and over and over again? Sign three blocks out. Sign two blocks out. Sign one block out flashing lights, it wasn't for lack of information. It was for lack of application. All the information was there. The signs were there. If the drivers had just paid attention and done it, obeyed, they wouldn't have had the disaster. For five weeks, we've laid out information. Some of you have signed up to apply. These are the five websites that we put out. We've got paper if you don't have websites to say, I am over the next 15 months going to read the entire Bible all the way through, or I'm going to read 11 months worth of devotionals. We gave you the first months. I've got the second months out there. It's already out because some of you are getting close to finishing month one already because this is week five. You can pick up section two. We'll have them all summer. We'll have them all next year until uh, we get 11. We'll print more along the way. Radical Mission says, you know what? Because God has called me to the nations, I am going to go on a mission trip. I'm going to add my star to that map. We're in, we'll take you on some. 
So if I'll go on the mission trip in the next 15 months, you would do that. If you would pray for the nations, we even gave you operationworld.com. It's, the link is on this website. It has, you can pray for every country. I'm ha- I've been praying for uh, countries all in Africa since we started this. I'm in the countries that start with C. And it's been, I'm using this guy because it tells me how to pray. Because I don't know anything about Chad, the country, not the person. I mean, I, I mean, my prayer for Chad would be like, God, do something in Chad. That's all I'd have. And something in Cameroon and something in Burkina Faso. And I'm, but when I'm reading this operation, I'm getting ideas of, of how to pray specifically for those countries. Last week, we talked about radical giving. Let me tell you this. Let, let me speak into this for a second. On Sunday morning in our small groups, I had your groups talk about, like, if someone gave you $500, who would you give it to? What gospel-oriented ministry would you give it to? And people filmed videos. I'd give it here, I'd give it there, I'd give it here, I'd give it there. And I went through and I started asking people. I, I went to the boy and I was like, that's the most creative video. And I went back and I asked that grade because they said, hey, we would give it to this. And so I went back and said, okay, who, who in your group of that grade has committed the $500 because they signed up last week and said, hey, I'm in. In the next 15 months, I'm going to figure it out. And they were like, oh, no, we didn't do that. And somebody asked. Somebody said, oh, well, we will do it. Does he want us to commit $500 as a group or as an individual? And the lead minister said, as an individual. And they went, I'm out. We talked about last week, you're, you're in the top 1% wealthiest people on the planet. Somebody said, well, I don't have a job. Your neighbors have lawns to mow. I mean, you can, you can find ways to make, you don't, have to, you don't have to go work at Chicken Express or Golden Sheet. You can, you can You can find ways, maybe you have 15 months to say, God, I'm going to join you in your work. I'm going to be a a releaser of the funds you've given me. Or if you have a job, say, I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to start putting 10% of everything I get back in the offering plate. That's radical giving. And then tonight, radical community. That I, I will commit to 36 weeks in a small group this year. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close out. Brian's going to come and just strum a little bit. I want you to just spend some moment, not not with each other, just by yourself, praying. God, what commitments do I need to make? What do I need to do to be a radical disciple? And then the band's going to close us in a song after a few minutes.